everybody. This is Chris. And Kathy. We wanted to take a minute to thank you all for tuning in. We appreciate every listener and are grateful for this platform. Please help us share our vision by subscribing to our show through your favorite streaming app. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Petability Podcast. Check out our ever-growing list of affiliates and sponsors. Simply go to the show notes for information and links. And be sure to use our promo code PETPOD22, that's P-E-T-P-O-D-2-2, on checkout to receive your discount from our affiliates. And now, here's a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Alon Landa, CEO of MedcoVet, and I'm a proud sponsor of PetAbility. We decided to partner with Chris and Kathy because, like them, we want to empower all pet owners who are trying to do the most for their pets. At MedcoVet, we specialize in advanced home laser therapy for pets. Laser therapy is a safe and effective treatment for common conditions like arthritis and wounds, and it relieves pain for most conditions caused by inflammation. With MedcoVet, pet owners can perform this treatment at home while receiving support from experienced clinicians. If you think your pet would benefit from healing at home, visit MedcoVet.com, and one of our clinical experts will work with you to determine if home laser therapy is the right fit for you and your pet. Tell them PetAbility sent you. Welcome to PetAbility. I'm your host, Kathy Simons. And I'm your host, Chris Cranston. Our podcast provides interviews and information to help your pets live their best lives. Hey, Chris, how are you doing today? I am fantastic. I have been so pumped all week since we found out that this guest has agreed to talk to us. So I'm just jazzed. I am so pumped too, Chris. Let me tell you, um, I, a couple of weeks ago, I um, came home and my email inbox was blowing up. It must've been 20 or so people, different people saying, you've got to watch this video, Kathy. You've got to see this, right? Um, And I click on the video and it is a video of a woman who is doing uh, fish rescue and she's rescued a disabled goldfish. And so now I'm 100% in, right? I'm 100% buy-in because it's just this little baby goldfish. And um, it's having some difficulty with... um, with buoyancy. So floating to the top of the tank, you know, so we stand at the bottom of the tank and the woman whose name is uh, Gwendolyn Church, who's our guest today, um, talks about how she helped him, you know, to, to not only to, to maybe get up to the top of the tank, but also with his environmental enrichment and, and so many other things. And I was just blown away by a couple of things. One, they took him to the vet and they x-rayed him, which, you know, my background in, in radiology is just like, wow, I didn't even know you could do that. I had no idea you could x-ray a fish. There must be so much involved with that. But the other thing that blew me away was just watching uh, Gwendolyn with so much care and compassion and empathy for this little tiny life, right, that she had rescued. Um, And then it it turns out that this little fish, whose name is Benjamin, he he did end up passing away. But I will tell you what, I hard cried when it happened. When it happened, I'm sobbing um, because I'm 100% buy-in with Benjamin, but I'm also 100% in with Gwendolyn and just her her passion for 
for saving these little guys and, and, and how much empathy she had for him and, and how much um, compassion she had for these little guys. So um, I said, we, we have to talk to Gwendolyn. And um, in particular, I think that it's really, you know, want to talk to her about the possibility that there may be some misconceptions about fish and owning fish um, that maybe they're an easy pet to have, or maybe they don't have or need so much environmental enrichment, but they're just like any other pet. They totally need all that. They need their physical environment, um, their tanks, their heaters, their lights, whatever they need, and they need to have this environmental enrichment. Uh, so I thought that was really important to, to go over. And I'll tell you a little story, Chris. I don't think you know this, but I had a fish not that long ago, probably 2007, 2008. And I did the same thing Gwendolyn did. I went in, I found this little beta fish in a little cup in one of these little pet stores. And it wasn't a good color. It was almost like a pink color, right? And I bought him for like $3 and, and I brought him home and his name was Swimmy, right? And Swimmy had a lot of problems, but I'll tell you what, um, he started thriving when we gave him the right environment and the right uh, type of food and the right you know, temperatures and stuff like that. And we had Swimmy for a good uh, two years after that. Uh, and I had no idea how old Swimmy was, but I'll tell you what, it was a great two years. It was a fantastic little beta. I had no idea they had that much personality and I adored him. So that's my little fish introduction, Chris. There you go. Well, let's get to it. Let's introduce Gwendolyn. Welcome. Welcome, Gwendolyn. It's great to have you. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm really excited. We are too. We are too. We were just blown away by by that video that I that we saw. Um, and I want to say, I'm sorry, Gwendolyn. What was it on the the forum? It's on um, GeoBeats Animals. They they do those kind of um, animal videos. You know, the the feel good cute yeah. ones, and and they um, do a fabulous job with the editing and and the display of everything. I I just had a, I just talked with them, and then they put together the whole wonderful video. They did a great job with that video. I agree. Um, it was it was very uh, it was very moving, and, and your passion for these fish really uh, for the fish that you rescue really came through in that in that video. So maybe you could get started with telling us how all of this began for you. How did you become interested in rescuing fish, um, and how did you start the the Friends of Philip Fish Sanctuary? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's a little bit of a long backstory, I think. Um, so I am um, vegan and I've volunteered at a farmed animal sanctuary for a few years. And, you know, I think most of us who love animals, we want to, you know, we kind of fantasize about like, I want to have my own sanctuary or my own rescue operation or something like that someday. And, and I certainly have this affinity with farmed animals, um, but I don't have the huge space that something like a farmed animal sanctuary would need. Um, but I, I had come across a story on um, the website Reddit um, of someone who was able to go into one of these large chain pet stores and they found, um, just like you said, one of those bettas in those terrible little cups on the shelves. And the fish was doing so poorly that the store allowed this person to adopt them and take them home for free. Um, and so, you know, I don't have acres for cows or something like that, but I, I do have um, space for an aquarium. And at the time, I definitely wasn't intending to have it become a full scale anything. I was just thinking of providing a good home for one little fish. Um, and so I went to the pet store to look at like the equipment and how much money I was going to be spending to get into an aquarium or something like that. And I, I had the idea to 
buy the tank and set it up and and have it just kind of ready. Um, and instead, I went to the store and the first store that I went to, um, I stopped and I looked at the bettas and there was one little fish in the back who was just pale and underweight. And at the time, I didn't really know a whole lot about fish, but it was apparent even to me that he was for sure going to die if he stayed on the shelf there. Um, he had horrible fin rot and just was really not doing well. Um, so I, I asked the manager at the store if I could take him home as an adoption and they let me. Um, so I, I walked out of the store with the little fish and, and that was Philip. Um, and that's like kind of the motivation for everything. So it started with him and that one tank um, and quickly grew. Yeah. First of all, I, I love that you named him Philip. That's such a good, that's a really good fish name. <laughs> and, you know, I, when I had swimmy, I'll tell you, I, you know, we, the same thing happened to me. I went into the store and I, I found this little fish in a cup in the way back and he just, he wasn't the right color. He was not looking very good. And immediately I was like, that's the one and I, you know, I want to take that one home. Um, but it was so worth it. And and I love that you want to, that you talk about having a sanctuary. You're right. We all fantasize one day I'm going to have a, you know, a dog sanctuary or a cat sanctuary. Maybe no one thinks about it for fish, right? Maybe no one thinks about it, but they're just as worthy Oh, absolutely. Rescue as any as any other animal, right? Yes, yeah, and they really, really are. Um, and you know, in terms of scale, the like aquatic animals and fish in particular um, are by far the most in need, kind of in every category. Like they're the most numerous pet animal. Period. Wow. Um, and you know, if you're if you're looking at like where you can make the biggest impact, trying to educate people on on appropriate care for fishes and and how to really make them a member of the family instead of something like a decoration um, is such a huge way to be able to help those guys. So Gwendolyn, tell us a little bit about, you know, what proper fish care entails. And I'm sure it varies depending on the species and so forth. But, you know, what is some typical fish husbandry that people need to to be aware of um, when they're thinking of bringing a pet fish into their home? That's a really, really good question. Um, and, and like, if someone just asks themselves that question before they they decide to bring fish into their home, that's such a good starting point. Um, and you are absolutely right that it's so, so, so dependent on species. Um, so, you know, there's over 33,000 different species of fish and that's over 60% of like all the known vertebrate species on earth. Um, so of course not all of those species are kept in captivity or, you know, available at like a pet store as they shouldn't be. Um, but even just in a pet store, if you walk in, you'll see tetras, you'll see cichlids, you'll see catfish and goldfish and bettas and all of these different species that have radically different care requirements. Mm-hmm. Um, so the really big thing is to decide on the species that you're excited to, um, bring home and, go from there. So for example, like a betta, the best environment for them, they're actually tropical fish. So the idea that a betta can live in a bowl is um, horribly, horribly wrong. And really no fish should ever live in a bowl. Um, Bettas are are sold as the ones who can because they are very hardy fish, but it's it's not kind to keep any fish in a bowl. Um, So tropical fish need heaters. They need um, a filter. They need places to hide and and places to explore. Um, so like we do occasionally adopt out fish and our requirement for a betta is a five gallon tank. 
Um, on the flip side of that, like the other most common fish is like the goldfish. And people think that goldfish can be kept in, in bowls as well. But um, the common goldfish that you see at the store, like feeder fish, they're for sale for 17 cents. Those guys will grow over a foot long and live over 20 years. Wow. And it's, it's like kind of remarkable um, that they, that they'll do that. And they're fascinating, fascinating fish. But then, you know, what, what do you keep a 12 inch long fish in? Um, it, it certainly can't be a bowl. And so those guys need like at least 75 gallons or more. Um, and so it's so, so, so critical to really research the species and, and think very critically because you will definitely see websites that say that two gallons for a betta is fine or one gallon or that a goldfish will do fine in 20 gallons and things like that. And, and it's important to really think critically about it and decide like, okay, can they survive or are they actually going to thrive in this environment? Mm. Right. And that's so important. Absolutely. Yeah. And, And that's one of the things that I, um, I was so taken with, with the video that you did was, um, that not only were you talking about their needs as far as the tank that they're in and the heaters and um, whatever else they need for their physical well-being, but you talked about their environmental enrichment as well. Um, and so can you speak a little bit on that? Like, how do you provide the fish with environmental enrichment? How do we stimulate them that way? Yeah, it's uh, it's another thing that, you know, kind of varies a little bit. Um, by species, but really what we aim for is for our our tanks and environments to be as close to what their natural environment might look like as possible. So we aim for live plants or fabric plants that are soft Um, and in natural colors and things like that, you know, bettas can be very um, stressed by bright colors. That's Mm -hmm. why, you know, they get kind of aggressive with other bettas. And so Mm -hmm. having very bright colors I feel like probably isn't the best for them, but like greens and browns and natural colors that you see in aquatic plants um, is is nice for them. Um, that is in particular like to hide on and sit on plants. So if you provide them with plants with like broad leaves, you'll totally walk in and find your betta sitting on top of their plant. And it's adorable. <laughs> they want to hang out there. It is so cute. Um, it's, it's really, really cute. And then there's other species like bottom feeders who... Um, really get a lot of enrichment by sifting through the sand of the tank and looking for food. And so knowing like what the natural behaviors of the fish are can really help with that kind of enrichment. Um, because what we think is a beautiful tank may or may not be ideal for, for the specific species. So it, it kind of just right. comes back down to that species specific um, right. question. Right. Um, it, we had, when we had swimmy, we, um, we did, you know, we, we did everything we were supposed to do. We got them the bigger tank and the heater and everything, but he seemed to like to be, you know, we put him in one location in the house, but he seemed to like being in a location where he could see mm-hmm. me or see us. And I'm wondering if that is, is that part of environmental enri- environmental enrichment for some fish for them to sort of see or watch us as well? Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it's a huge part of it. Um, in, in the wild, most of the fish that we keep in tanks would have a much larger environment than they currently have. So like we set a five gallon minimum for bettas, but I've read that um, in the wild, a betta might have like 27 cubic feet that they inhabit. So, you know, like a three by three by three foot square or mm. cube um, kind of area like that. And that's far larger than, than five gallons. So right. um, anything that we can do to add to their enrichment 
and kind of make up for the fact that they are living in captivity in an area that's, you know, a fish doesn't just naturally live in a house. Um, so yeah, our, our fish definitely react very strongly when I'm in the room, they'll watch me, they'll watch our dogs, they'll watch my partner. Um, and they, they really like to see what's going on and, and be engaged in it. And it's very interesting and exciting to see them kind of engage with everything happening outside the tank. I saw in the video that you take, uh, maybe you can, maybe you can explain this to the audience. You were using a dry eraser to write on the outside of the tank. Was that yeah. part of the, is that part of the enrichment for the fish? It is. Yeah. So, um, we have the, the bettas in particular are pretty, um, curious and they do enjoy, like when I walk up to the tanks, they're there and they're dancing around and they're all excited to see me. And so something we started doing is taking those dry erase markers and like drawing little things or writing something on the tank or, or something like that. And a lot of the fish really like to, to follow the marker as you're writing. Right. Um, and it, I mean, it doesn't seem to ever stress them out or anything like that. And, you know, of course, if we noticed signs of stress, we would stop. Yeah. Um, but the, the fish who we do it with consistently, um, who seem to kind of get the most out of it, like some kind of don't care and others do, you know, they're all individuals. Um, and so when we do write on there, they seem to be very curious about it and you can watch them like they'll swim away and then they'll come back and check out what you drew again. And they just continue to be curious about it. And they were following, one of the fish was following as you were doing it, following the marker. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> She's one of our like most active little fish. And so she really likes to follow the marker. She really follows me. Um, it's, it's very, very sweet. So in the moment, uh, you know, people were kind of experimenting with environmental enrichment. What would be signs that the fish is enjoying it? And, or, you know, conversely is stressed by it. What would that look like, Gwendolyn? That's a great question. So there's a number of like pretty common stress responses in fish. Um, a big indicator is um, kind of just general lethargy. So for like, I keep coming back to bettas because we have the most bettas and I think people see them the most frequently at pet stores, but um, for, for bettas, they're very particular, um, about filter flow. And so if, if the flow of the filter in their tank is too high, some bettas are very stressed by that. And you'll notice that they go and hide more. They aren't as active. Maybe they don't come out to eat as frequently or as, as readily, um, and, and things like that. So hiding and not responding to the person approaching the tank. Um, there are physical signs. There's a, a thing that fish do called clamping where they will hold their fins much closer to, closer to their body. Um, it's kind of reminiscent of like, if you imagine someone outside in the fold who is cold and kind of has their arms tight around themselves and, and you can see visibly that they're cold, it's kind of like that, but, mm -hmm. but in a fish with their mm -hmm. fins all tight in and like that. Um, and then some fish will even um, change colors a bit and show other kind of visual signs of stress. Um, bettas will develop a, a thing called stress stripes, which is a horizontal stripe that runs down their body. Other fish species can get vertical stress stripes and, and things like that. So there are quite a few indicators of stress. And, and is it safe to say that, you know, if you're doing something, you know, putting your finger in the top of the tank or, or using the dry erase marker and they're they're actively approaching it. They seem uh, playful um, that, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of present with that stimulus that, that can we interpret that as a good thing? 
Yes. Yeah, I, I would say so. Um, and you'll definitely, you know, fish will always respond differently to different things, but, but yeah, generally if, if the fish is coming out and investigating, um, it's, it's a very good sign that they're curious about it. They're engaged and they aren't feeling, you know, stressed or afraid. Right. Because I, I love the, that you used on the GeoBeats that, that they're sentient beings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, th- that literally defined, it comes from the word, you know, sense and Latin and so forth. So that, that fish can perceive and respond to sensations, you know, in their environment. So that includes Absolutely. sight, hearing, touch, taste, and smell, just like us. Yeah. And, and they really do. And it's, and it's so apparent. Um, once you've spent time living with a fish who um, is receiving proper care, it's, it's so readily apparent that they are sentient and they have their unique experiences. Um, and really that they're, they're very individual and they have particular preferences down to the individual. You know, we can give specific recommendations for certain species, um, but it's no different than the way that some dogs like mine, my dog doesn't like to go in the car, but most dogs love to go in the car. You know, every, every animal is going to have their different Right. So there's species preferences, but then there's also the individual as in everything. Yeah. Cool. So what is the most common condition that you see? I know you said that bettas were the most common fish, I think in your sanctuary, but you know, is it, is it fin rot? Is it, you know, swim bladder issues? You know, what, what are you seeing Gwendolyn? Um, it, it does vary quite a bit. And unfortunately, really the, the bulk of the things that we see um, all come from improper care. So one thing we, we didn't really talk about with, with proper fish care and, and environments and things mm-hmm. is water quality. Mm. Um, and water quality is like far and above the thing to care about if you are keeping fish. Um, you know, you think of like what we might feel like if we spent the day in a room full of smoke, right? Um, a mm. fish living in a tank with poor water quality is going to feel like that all the time. Um, you know, fish waste, just like every other animal's waste will produce ammonia and that will start to build up in the water. Um, so important, an important part of a healthy aquarium is something called the nitrogen cycle, which is something that anyone interested in fish should absolutely read about and understand before they bring home a fish. Um, but the problems that we see with fish who come in are almost entirely from these fish being kept in poor conditions. So like with the bettas, you know, the, the worst possible environment you could ever keep a betta fish in is a plastic cup on a shelf. Um, yeah, they're horrible. And, but that's how they're sold. So they're cold. They're living in water that is not clean. Yeah. It's, it's very not clean. Um, we test the water that the fish come home in and it's, it ranges from okay because they just got a water change to shockingly bad that I'm like surprised the fish is still alive. Um, and so we do see a lot of fin rot, um, because of that, because ammonia and things building up in the water are literally burning the fish's gills and skin and, and fins and everything. Um, we see a lot of swim bladder issues, which is kind of like it's people call. So swim bladder issues is is like a good way to talk about it because you see online, people will say my fish has swim bladder, um, which isn't actually a, a, a diagnosis. It's kind of like saying I have stomach. Like I have an organ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the bladder is, is just an organ that fish have. 
but swim bladder issues are, are presented as, as buoyancy problems. So a fish floating up at the top of the water is having a buoyancy issue. And for most fish, like especially for bettas, that can very frequently be brought on by stress. Um, so we had a fish who every time I did a water change, he would be floating up at the top of the tank. And I learned after one or two instances of this, that that was a stress response to the filter running while I was doing a water change. And so turning the filter off during water changes completely stops his swim bladder issue after water changes. Mm. Um, and it's, that's kind of, unfortunately, the way that a lot of these things are that like fin rot, most of the time you don't need medication or all that much to, to quote unquote, treat fin rot, because all you have to do is fix the environment. And once the fish is no longer being burned by ammonia or anything like that in the water, they recover on their own and they can recover quite quickly. Amazing. Can you, um, can we go back a little bit to, um, the swim bladder? Maybe you could talk a little bit about, um, Benjamin, the goldfish and, and and the negative buoyancy and, and I'm not sure if you have negative and positive buoyancy, but the fact Mm -hmm. that he couldn't, at least that particular fish couldn't float to the top and how important it is to be able to have buoyancy as a fish. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so the swim bladder is the organ that lets fish regulate their depth and it's not just their, their depth. It's also their stability. So if you see a fish like floating on their side, that's because they're not able to regulate their depth or their stability. Um, and so, yes, there, there's like positive buoyancy and negative buoyancy. Um, and I assume variations in between as well. And for Benjamin, he had um, negative buoyancy. And that was, um, as you mentioned earlier, the x-rays, we found that he actually didn't have that swim bladder organ at all. And so there was no way for him to regulate his buoyancy because he literally just didn't have the organ. Mm. Um, So in his case, you know, it's not a stress response or something. It it was something, you know, possibly with um, when he was a baby fish, maybe he didn't get quite enough. Um, nutrition. Our vet told us that um, fishes develop the swim bladder as kind of babies. So it's something in the the very early development. So so for Benjamin, um, he, you know, and we've had bettas with negative buoyancy as well, um, but they had the organ and so they were able to recover. But with Benjamin, um, because he didn't have it, it was much more a question of kind of like management and, and making his life as good as we possibly could while he was with us. And the vet, you know, was very honest and said that she wouldn't be surprised if you weren't around for very long because of, of that problem. And, you know, unfortunately that's kind of how it worked. So is the swim bladder dynamic in that fish have the ability to control it, make it more or less make themselves more or less buoyant by regulating, if you will, their swim bladder, or is it just a static organ? And then when something goes awry, then they have this positive and negative thing. That's a really good question that I I don't know if I have a super great answer for. Um, As far as I know, well, I, I do know that it's kind of a regulated thing. Um, so, you know, more air in the swim bladder means that they'll be higher up, less air, and it kind of expands that way. But I don't know that it's like an intentional thing. Um, hmm. I think it's some, I think it's kind of a natural thing that, that happens as they swim up, the swim bladder expands and they, um, you know, stay stable and hmm. as they swim down. And, but honestly, I, that's just kind of my speculation. I, I haven't, I should read yeah. more about <laughs> the specific physiology of fish. 
Um, Because my understanding of their actual physiology on some of those fronts is fairly surface level. Well, don't, you know, minimize what you know, because I, (laughs) I was looking at your Instagram last night and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so educational, which I want to give props to. And right. And for the listeners, you know, we will put all of the links and everything, uh, on, on our show notes as we usually do, but it is really, really, um, impactful and, and full of, of learning and knowledgeable bits. So I feel like, you know, in, in a relatively short time, because you said this, uh, whole venture that started with Philip, uh, was just a little over two years ago, right. That you began this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's been really not very long and I've, I've learned a monumental amount in that time. Uh, it, and a huge part of that is from the, the wonderful aquatic vet who we, who we have as a resource. Well, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> I mean, yes. I, uh, the fact that you were able to x-ray this fish, I, I might need to talk to that veterinarian. I, I worked at, uh, a hospital that in, in a large animal hospital from the first part of my career. And I worked in the radiology department and we x-rayed just about every kind of animal, oh, that's so never cool. a fish. Um, and so it's, it's so uh, fascinating to me that this fish was able, or Benjamin was able to get the same level of care that your dog or your cat gets. Right. So it was really cool to see that. And, and what I want to know is Benjamin x-rayed underwater or is, are they removed from their water environment for the actual x-ray? They, they are removed very okay. quickly. So um, for, for the x-rays, um, the, the veterinarian, um, Dr. Sanders, she uses a mild sedative. Um, so they're not fully asleep, but they are much calmer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really pretty amazing to watch her do this process. So she has a mobile practice called Aquatic Veterinary Services. And so she comes to us, which is fabulous because transporting fish is, is quite stressful. Um, and so she comes to us and then she'll come in and she, um, will examine the fish in their tanks and then only take them out if she absolutely needs to. So that's wonderful. Um, so for Benjamin's x-ray, she had Benjamin in a little container. She uh, measured out the, the sedative to get him nice and calm and then had this mobile x-ray set up outside. And she said, Benjamin was the second smallest smallest fish ever x-rayed so that was very cute so cute and she it was like all done so 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 quickly because of course once a fish is out of water the priority is to get them back into water yeah um so she was able to um balance to get the x-rays of his side she balanced him on a little bottle cap on her x-ray setup because he was too small for the other thing that she normally uses for larger fish um, so she balanced him on the bottle cap and then took the x-ray very quickly and then had him back in the water all within, I want to say like 15 seconds, like very, Oh my gosh, fast. it's fast. Yeah. Once you have your technique and everything, Chris, you're, you snap and, and yeah. that's it. You're probably back in the bowl, but so with the skill level, the set, the skill, set of skills that you need to have to do that though, with a fish is really amazing yeah. and not I'm drop gonna, them. Um, yeah. Oh my I, gosh. Yeah. I would be so stressed. And, yeah. and I want to ask this too, like the sedative part, like, was it an injection? No, it's put into the water. Oh, okay. So they just kind of breathe it in through, through the water. And apparently it's quite hard to do that with fish like bettas because they, um, they have a, a different organ called a labyrinth organ that actually lets them breathe air from the surface. They may not get sedated. It might take yeah, quite some time. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 
And unfortunately, it's that same organ that um, lets people, uh, well, not people, but I guess like, you know, the the pet industry with mm-hmm. the, the large chain stores and the bowls and all of that kind of, that's kind of where that myth comes from is that bettas can live in bowls because they have this organ um, that lets them breathe from the surface and means that they don't need a filter. Oh, um, but that's not the case. Yeah. That's just not the case at all. Yeah, they so. absolutely need a filter. You know, before we move on, I just wanted to, to share a story of a mutual friend of Kathy and, and mine. Um, I was visiting her home. She had uh, a variety of goldfish in a beautiful garden setting uh, with rocks and running water, a waterfall filters. And one of her fish got the swim bladder, if you will, the swim bladder issue. Like you said, they mm-hmm. all have them. But uh this it, again, the fish had been fine. Something happened, um, you know, to just this one fish out of, you know, the plethora that she had, but she could not find anybody to help her with this uh, yeah. issue, right. you know? So the fact that you have this traveling vet, I think you're in the, the San Francisco Bay area, um, mm-hmm. is just, remarkable. And, you know, let's put a plea out there for, you know, vets that specialize in, in fish and reptiles and all of these kind of less uh, thought of, you know, the non-mammals, if you will, because they all need expert veterinary care. And right. uh, so, Absolutely. yeah, it's right. very stressful for my friend. Yeah, and, and, and your fish is, you know, I love my veterinarian very much and she's fantastic, but it's not her skill set. And that would not be, you know, necessarily the appropriate place to bring the fish. So having somebody at your disposal like that, an aquatic vet, somebody who specializes in specializes in fish, really important. It it absolutely is. And honestly, like I feel so incredibly lucky to, yeah. to live in the area that um that this practice serves. So they they travel all over California. Um she is Dr. Sanders is also licensed in Nevada. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just wonderful. I feel yeah. so incredibly lucky to have access to her. And I, I think that if we lived somewhere else, um, and didn't have access to an aquatic veterinarian, I would certainly be, I don't know if I would totally rethink, but I would be much more cautious about, um, doing something like this, yeah. of rescuing fish and encouraging people to adopt them because, you know, it, it's, it's our responsibility as caregivers for animals to provide the the veterinary care right. that they deserve. And if, if you don't have access to that, because there literally isn't an aquatic vet in your area, that makes it that much harder right. um, to, to try to give them the care that they deserve. That's a good point. Can we, um, can we go back a little bit about the fish in there and how they have, uh, how they're, they can, you know, they see, they smell, they hear the mm-hmm. touch. Um, cause I'm always interested in, I'm going to say the emotional lives of animals. Um, and I know that we can't speak for the fish. We, we don't really know exactly, uh, what they feel emotionally, but I'm wondering um, how do they express themselves? Do you think that they do have some rudimentary, uh, emotion? So excited, angry, something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I know for sure that they, um, they have a quite a range of emotions really right. um like they they express emotion very very clearly especially the intenser one intenser i don't know more intense <laughs> but more intense ones like uh, like excitement in particular is so incredibly apparent um because our our fish you know 
they're able to recognize their caregivers and who who's taking care of them and feeding them and things like that. And so when I specifically walk up to the aquariums, um, the fish are very excited. <laughs> um, the bettas will be up at the front of the glass doing these adorable little like wiggles because they know <laughs> that it's me and I'm coming to feed them. Um, and it's, it's very apparent when they're excited about something. Yeah. Um, in the same strain they they really show a lot of curiosity. Um, every time a new thing is added to a tank, you'll see all of the fish, whether it's a tank with a single betta or a community tank or anything, all of the fish will make their way over to the new thing and they'll check it out. Um, you'll see fish swimming through it, looking at it, maybe like seeing if they can get underneath it and all sorts of different things like that. They're, they're very curious little animals. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, we talked about stress responses and, and things like that. And, um, it's, it's very apparent as well when a fish is stressed or, or unhappy or very bored, um, mm. things like that, it, especially as you spend more time with them, um, you can really start to see their emotions and their personality really coming out. And I think that's one of the big, um, myths that you're trying to dispel is that fish are boring, that they're inactive. Um, but, but that's just, there's a lot of misinformation out there because again, they're not given maybe the, the best environment to display the huge uh, spirits and personalities that, that they may have. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the same way that, you know, people will really encourage someone who's interested in adopting a dog to, if you go to the shelter meet the dog out of the pen. Like don't, don't try to judge a dog by the way that they respond to you when they're in a kennel at a shelter. Mm, good point. Um, it's that same kind of thing. When an animal is in a super stressful environment, like a, a fish bowl, where like a fish in a bowl, they're cold, they're bored. They're probably being actively burned by the ammonia and things that have accumulated in the water. Um, that's an incredibly, incredibly stressful environment for them. And so none of their natural personality or behaviors are going to show because all you're seeing is a stress response. Um, and so when, when they have that chance to not be stressed out, um, and they can relax and they're warm and their water is clean and they have places to hide and they have a choice of whether or not to interact with you. Um, they're suddenly incredibly personable and very curious and interesting little animals to interact with. Do you find that, um, you know, I know you said that the fish recognize you, like as you approach the tank and things, do you think they actually bond with their people, with their caregivers? I think that they can. Yeah. Um, I, I know that like the, the fish recognize me as a distinct person, different from like my partner or my family or people who come over. Um, and they're, they're noticeably more excited to see me than they are to see visitors because they know that I'm the one who's coming to feed them. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't know specifically how, how deeply they bond. Um, but I do know that there are many examples of fishes who have created bonds with people, especially like out in, um, the ocean, there are a lot of instances of divers who go back and they visit Mm. a fish and the fish will come out to see them because they know that it's that one person. Um, Mm -hmm. and, I think they probably, I'm certain that they bond in a different way with, with people and with fish and all other, you know, the same way that all animals do. 
Um, but I, I do think that they'll bond with people and they'll bond with each other. Well, and that's what I was going to ask, like bonding with each other. You know, Kathy, you can speak to this, but I know a lot of birds in particular have like mates for life and, and that sort of thing. Are Is that similar in the fish world? Are there certain species that, you know, have like lifelong mates or do you see them, you know, in the, the group environment? You know, are there certain you know, what fish that hang out together more so does it seem to be within the same species or do they cross species bond? It's a, it really, it really varies. They absolutely will bond with other fish. Um, it's, it's certainly kind of an individual thing and a bit more species specific. Um, so most, not all, but many bettas are quite solitary and will be stressed out in a community environment. Um, on the flip side, there's many bettas who will do fabulously well in a community environment with appropriate fish. They should, of course, never be kept with another betta, but they can be kept with other community fish. Um, goldfish are incredibly, incredibly social fish. Mm. It's, it's like recommended to never keep a goldfish alone because mm. they really, really benefit from having other goldfish. Um, so like an example of that is that we have a couple of Blackmore goldfish, which are a variety of fancy goldfish. Um, and sadly our, our largest one, um, passed away, but when she arrived that her name was Pugsley. And when she arrived with this other fish Wednesday, two black moors who came in together, um, they were very bonded. And so unfortunately they arrived in water that was really pretty bad. It was the, the water quality was really very poor. And so they were pretty stressed out. And so we acclimated them very slowly to the new tank and to clean water. And when they had settled into their new tank, Pugsley, the larger fish, was doing fabulous. She was very happy. She was swimming around a whole lot. But over the next couple of days, it was very clear that um, Wednesday was not feeling well. She was sitting at the bottom of the tank. Her fins were kind of down. She just generally seemed fairly stressed still. And for the next like week, as Wednesday was slowly starting to feel better, Pugsley would not leave her side. Oh. She was always sitting there with her. You'd see them, you'd see Pugsley just very gently bump up against Wednesday and kind of like was, was very obviously intentionally sitting with the other fish. Um, mm. Because, you know, they were in a larger tank. They had plenty of space to go do their own things if they mm. wanted to. And Pugsley very obviously chose to sit with her and be there as kind of her companion to say like, I'm sorry, you know, I'm here to help you feel better. Or I don't know what she was actually thinking, but, but she was there and, and chose mm-hmm. to do that. Um, and that's really something pretty common to see in some of these more social species of fish is that they, they do have their families and their friends that they stick with and want to be with. And it's, it's remarkable to see. Wow. So once, once you have, um, rehabs, some of these fish, do you actually, do they actually get adopted out then Gwendolyn or, um, yes, sometimes we adopt them. Yeah. Yeah. So we have adopted a number of bettas out. Um, and I keep a pretty just like strict rule, um, on, on incoming fishes that we, we won't ever take in a fish if we aren't confident that we can keep them for their entire life. Mm. Um, you know, I think that's just a good general rule, especially while we're fairly small and, you know, people aren't exactly lining up to adopt fish. Maybe they will in the future, but not quite yet. So 
um, we can be very, very particular about the homes that we adopt fish out to. And I assume this is local. I mean, you can't adopt a fish out to somebody that's, I would think, beyond a certain distance. It is. It is local. Um, I know that shipping fish is really quite common, actually. Um, But we don't do that. Sounds Um, stressful. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All of our fish have already been through so much before coming here um, that even if it's just like an overnight thing, it it just sounds like a bit too much, in my opinion, to put them through. I know that it can be done safely and is frequently done safely, but it's just not a thing that we want to do. So are there other fish rescues in the United States? Are you the only one? There are a number of of fish rescues. Um, Yeah. So there's a a big one is um, the Ohio fish rescue. Wow. Um, And they kind of specialize in particularly in like very large fish. Mm -hmm. So a huge, 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 huge problem in the like fish keeping world, if you will, um, is the sale of what some people call monster fish, um, which is fish species who will grow huge, just way, like, like way too big for a home aquarium. So like some, at some places sell like channel catfish, which can reach like over three feet long. I think Um, you can buy like a Paku, which is a relative of the piranha and gets over 18 inches long. Um, there are arowanas, which get enormous there. So there's a number of species. Like you can go to a chain pet store today and buy an Oscar cichlid for $10. And that fish is going to get over 12 inches long and need like a 100 gallon tank all to themselves because they're quite aggressive fish. So as you can imagine, it's a, it's a pretty big problem that people, um, are excited for a fish. They go to the store and then purchase the fish that visually appeals to them um, and then are not given enough information about what they're actually getting into. Right. Um, It's the way that you can also go to the store and buy like a sulcata tortoise. Um, I know you guys just did that episode. We just did an episode. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it. I was like, oh my gosh, someone who planned for the size of a sulcata tortoise. That's so fabulous. Um, But it's, it's the same thing um, that, there are many, many species of fish that get absolutely enormous. Um, and we, we don't accept a lot of species of fish because they get enormous and we don't have the space and resources for, for those species. Mm. Um, so the Ohio fish rescue does, they, they'll take those, uh, you know, they call them like the monster fish. So referring to the size. Yeah. Um, and then there's a number of like smaller kind of independent rescues, sort of like what we're doing. Um, and a number of them focus specifically on bettas. So um, Bubbles Betta Rescue is another um, fabulous rescue in kind of the, I believe they're in like the Sacramento Davis area of California. Hmm. Um, and then there's quite a few on Facebook. And then there's a lot of like Facebook groups dedicated to, to betta rescue and adoption. I was reading on your Instagram, somebody was asking because they wanted to rescue some fish. I think it was in Maryland. And you said that you didn't, know of any, you know, sanctuaries or rescues in that area, but to kind of peruse Craigslist and offer up because people are often trying to maybe rehome or get rid of their fish when they can no longer care for them or, or what, you know, I'm sure there are a variety of, of circumstances, but, um, you know, typically we would say, you know, like for 
dogs and cats, you know, you know, don't post on Craigslist and don't, you know, buy a pet off Craigslist. But yeah. is this, is this an exception? Because, you know, the, the other alternative is not a good, good one if they can't rehome I, them. Yeah. So it, if you're trying to rehome a fish, I would start with some of those Facebook groups before trying something like Craigslist. Um, like if, if you have a fish who you want to rehome, yep. um, just because, you know, with, I feel like with Facebook groups and things, you have moderators, there's a little bit more of like the personal interaction of that. You're it's somebody's Facebook profile that you're contacting instead of just like a, a Craigslist ad. Um, but for, for people who are looking to adopt a fish, to add a fish to their family, um, Craigslist and OfferUp can be a really, really good way to find fish who need help. Mm -hmm. um, we've yeah. gotten quite a few of That's our right. betas from Craigslist ads where it's like, you know, it's, it's really common for someone to um, kind of impulse buy a fish, especially like a betta, because you go into the store and there's these beautiful fish in these cups. And then there's a bowl for sale right next to them that's 30 bucks. And then $50 later, you have your betta. Yeah. Um, and you think it's a, you think you have an appropriate environment because that's what the store has told you. And then you get them home and realize that it's actually a lot more work and the fish isn't doing very well. And it, it can be a very sad situation. Um, mm -hmm. So if you are excited to adopt a betta, that can be a really good way to find one because a lot of those people that maybe they don't want to take the fish back to the store, but they're hoping to find someone else who is ready to take care of the fish. Mm -hmm. um, so we've brought in quite a few bettas who are listed on Craigslist, like for free or for $5 with their tank or something like that. And the people are almost always very thrilled to hear that we have a little rescue and that we're bringing yeah. their fish into right. a place that's right. ready for the fish and excited for the fish and knows how to give them proper care. I just want to, have you been self-taught then, you know, cause you were talking about, you know, how this kind of all started and, and so is it just your own research and working with the vet that you mentioned and so forth that, that you learn your vast amount of knowledge about the various fish species? Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um, That's impressive. A lot of time online. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and really with that, like I, I mentioned earlier, that just very kind of critical mindset, like anything I read online, I need to have it verified by a mm, couple of different right. sources online before I'm like, okay, I believe this. Um, because you will find sites that look very legitimate, and like they know what they're talking about, that are just suggesting horrible, horrible care recommendations. Um, mm. And it's really, really sad. Um, so, so absolutely thinking critically about all of that is super important. Yeah. And uh, I just wanted to caution those of you out there that might be thinking, you know, might be inspired by this, this episode of petability and think I want to start a, a fish rescue, but you're, you're currently in the process of moving, I hear, and yes. you have like what, over 20 aquariums and two ponds and, you know, that those numbers may not even be legit now, but I mean, this is a big deal. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we do now, we have 30 aquariums. Yeah. It's, it's a big commitment. Um, and, and even if you aren't moving, um, the simple maintenance of an aquarium is also nothing to take lightly. Um, you know, with, with 30 aquariums, I spend a lot of time doing aquarium maintenance. Um, but if you had a single aquarium, it's not a huge, huge time commitment each time you need to do like a water change, 
but it is a long-term commitment. Um, you know, like say you had two goldfish who can live for 20 something years in a 100 gallon tank. Um, you need to be committed to doing a water change like once a week or once every 10 days on that 100 gallon tank for the next 20 years. Right. Yeah. Um, and once you know how to do it, it can be, I mean, for a 100 gallon tank, you're probably waiting a long time for it to fill up, but it can be a 30 minute to one hour process once a week or every 10 days. Um, but it has to be done because that's where they, you know, that's what they live in. That's what they're breathing. That's their, their house the world. Yeah. <laughs> like you said, definitely a commitment. And, you know, and speaking of the commitment too, I remember when I moved out to the Boston area, I thought, oh, fish, that would be a good first pet to have. Cause I didn't have yeah. a dog at the time I was living, you know, like up 42 stairs in this loft. I'm like, okay, I'll, you know, get some fish. And fortunately, Again, I went to the big box store to check it out, but I, I talked to a fairly knowledgeable uh, salesperson and oh. they're like, okay, you know, you need this, you need that, you need this, you know, you got to do. And I, I, I'm like, okay, thank you. And I left because it was too <laughs> much. Smart. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't really, I thought it would be a much simpler thing. I mean, there's a huge financial investment to do it right. Yes. And then again, the time commitment, it's not just like this passive, you know, thing where you plunk them in a tank and, you know, there they go and you just watch them. I mean, there is definitely a commitment as there is with every other pet. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm so glad that you are committed to these little guys, Gwendolyn. And um, uh, I know we're getting ready to wrap up here. So I'm hoping that um, you could just leave our audience with something, you know, is there something that um, our audience should know or something they should consider when they're thinking about adding a fish to their family? I think the, the big thing that we really try to emphasize, um, you know, people talk about adopt, don't shop, and that kind of mentality and approach to adding like a cat or dog to your family. And I, I just really want to emphasize that that option is available for every animal. Um, you might not get the immediate satisfaction of going to the store and leaving with the fish that day, um, but you can get the satisfaction of knowing that you're helping a fish who needs a home and who, you know, might not end up in such a great situation otherwise. Right. Um, additionally, if you're spending some time looking for a fish, you also then have plenty of time to research what they need. Mm -hmm. um, really, really learning about the proper environment and about water quality and the nitrogen cycle is absolutely fundamentally critical to keeping a fish in a way that is compassionate and humane um, for them and to keep them healthy and happy through their life. And what a great example for, you know, parents to, to give their children to, you know, and the uh, adopt, don't shop and the research and the commitment yes. that, yeah. that is required, you know, because those are lessons that our young people will take with them, hopefully for their lifetime as well. Of course. Yeah. And to let kids see that, that fish aren't just decorations, they're not objects. They are sentient animals who have experiences in their own lives. And if we can emphasize that to as many people as possible, I think that's only ever going to be a good thing. Right. Um, Gwendolyn, can you tell our audience where they can find you? Um, if they want to look at your Instagram or um, if they want to find uh, the Friends of Phillips Fish Sanctuary. Where can they yeah. find you? Yeah, so um, we are Friends of Phillips Fish Sanctuary. It's kind of a long name. Um, on Instagram, it's Friends of Phillips underscore Fish Sanctuary. Philip has one L. And then on 
Facebook, it's um, Friends of Philip. But if you type in Friends of Philip Fish Sanctuary, that will also come up. And then on the, the GeoBeats Animals, it's a YouTube. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that video is on YouTube. They're on Facebook and Instagram as well, but YouTube is their main. Um, I'm going to have to follow them. Yeah, they're they're wonderful. We'll, uh, so, we'll put all that up in the show notes for everyone, too, in, in the GeoBeat as well, okay? Yes, we will. And just one last question. Um, A while back, we we interviewed this wonderful woman um, who had a vast knowledge of chickens and she loved to be called, you know, the the chicken lady. Can we call you the fish lady as as a term of endearment? I, I would be thrilled if you called me. That. Yay, <laughs> Gwendolyn Church, the fish lady. The fish lady. Fish, fish are our friends. And yeah, they are. They're absolutely our friends. And I have embraced <laughs> fish ladydom. So um, <laughs> I, awesome. I think that's wonderful. Um, well, and thank one, one other real quick um, yeah. resource that I would love sure. to, to throw out to people too. Um, there is a um, an organization called the American Association of Fish Veterinarians. Oh, and they have a locator tool on their website, which is, which is fishvets.org. They have a locator tool that will let you search in whatever area. I think it's the United States um, that you're looking to find a fish vet and you can find an aquatic, um, a certified aquatic veterinarian. And so that's a great resource to see if there's an aquatic vet in your area. Awesome. Thanks. That's an awesome resource. Thank you. Yeah, We'll include that as well. Thanks so much. Okay. Well, I learned a lot about fish today. <laughs> I know. I love it. I love it. Chris, my head is swimming. <laughs> <laughs> Good one, Kathy. <laughs> Gwendolyn, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to talk with you. Um, and we hope to get to uh, maybe talk to you again in the future. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for thank having you. me. Okay. G- give all the fishies my love. Yeah. I will. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed our show. Follow us on Facebook or on Instagram at Petability Podcast. For more information about Kathy's books and living with blind dogs, please go to enableyourpet.com. Thank you and please tune in next time.